Eldridge saw a, a lot of things besides sunshine this week. Kind of rainy week, wasn't it? But we're glad for the rain. Um, spring showers bring flowers, don't they? And boy, they're out in bloom today. Good to have you with us this morning. Um, I trust that you've had a good week, that God has been good for you. If God has been good for you, could you just say, raise your hand, say, yep, that's me. God's been good to me. I'm sorry for the rest of you. Um, but I know that God has been good to you. You're here today. So that's an indication that um, God's been good enough to bring you around again another week. And um, I'm thankful to be here. I was... Um, I left Friday morning and went to uh, the North Georgia mountains, a little town called Dahlonega. A friend of mine passed away, um, one, of the, one of the best friends that I have, um, just a, a godly man. A matter of fact, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever run into anyone who was, he was not an ordained minister or anything. He wasn't, um, he was probably... He never even considered himself a teacher, but my goodness, his life impacted everybody who knew him. And um, I don't know if you're, everybody has to attend funerals, and the older you get, it seems like the more you go to, uh, which is sort of sad because it's a constant reminder. Um, mortality strikes all of us, uh, but all funerals aren't equal. Amen. And it isn't often that you go to a funeral that is a celebration. And I don't mean a celebration because they have lots of music and because the preacher tries to turn it into a celebration. I mean because the people who have come to honor the person who passed away recognize in that person a precious gift that they've been given a precious gift that changed their life and the life of many others, and they celebrate his life. And they celebrate his passing to his reward. Um, that was the way George was, George Hurst, my friend. Um, I hope you have some of those in your life. And uh, my prayer is, and I, this is not a selfish prayer, this is a wonderful prayer you should pray. My prayer is that I'll be that person in your life. Now, if you think that I'm being egotistical, let me, let me explain something. I want God's best for me. Do you want less than that? My wife introduced me to the thought she used to pray, God, Lord, make Mark make Mark a mighty man of God. And I, my first reaction was, oh, no, honey, don't pray that for me. I mean, I want to be modest. <laughs> Not a mighty man of God, just, you know, adequate. And the more I thought about that, the sillier it was. You know, what do you want from God? Don't you want God to make you the greatest that he can make you? Don't you want to do mighty exploits for God? If you don't, you have set your... Goals kind of low. Let me encourage you. God wants you to reach for the highest you can attain to with his help. Amen? The highest you can attain to. He doesn't need any more wimps in the kingdom. He needs mighty men and women of valor who do mighty exploits for him. 
with his spirit's leading. And I trust and pray that you're praying that for yourself. And by the way, there's no time limit on that. Well, it's a little late for me. I'll just settle and hunker down on this piece of property. Well, I don't want that. I'm still yearning toward the high mark of the calling for which Christ called me. I want to know why he called me. And I want to, as Paul said, I want to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended by Christ. Amen. God had a plan. I want to know what it is, and I want to live to the fullest extent of that plan for God's life for me. And that's what you ought to pray. Um, I want to mention one other thing, too, just in passing, uh, some question about um, how much time there is between one call and another call. You should be aware as a church, um, you don't have a whole lot of choice about that. The district is going to get people here as quickly as it can because it has to make decisions based on your decisions. So they're going to try and bring people here for you to candidate to candidate for you so that you can make a, a choice so that at conference that decision will be settled. And there are lots of decisions to be made. So they have to print all that up, make sure everything's together. And so most of the time you'll notice year after year they want you to make any kind of decisions by March. Um, so like, um, and certainly that, that certainly would be inclusive of a pastoral vote. But your board uh, should be selected. All those choices selected in March so that it's all done, can be turned in, processed by the district, and put into your district journal. So that's some of, just to give you an oversight of what has to happen. It isn't just here. It's district-wide, that's conference-wide, then general church-wide. All that's published. It all has to go through that funnel, and it's quite a funnel. And uh, so that's what's going on. So anyway, um, let's have a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless us this morning in this time together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come this morning. Lord, we ask that you would deliver the message that you have planned for today. I know that you've given me some words to say, some scripture to read, but Father, you're the one who lends power to your word. It's not us. We don't have any glib speech. We don't have any convincing arguments. Your spirit must do that. And we ask today, Father, that your spirit would find freedom here, that you would be able to do all that you want in our presence to bring glory and honor to your name and to promote the kingdom in, in this world. And we ask it in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, the name of Yeshua. Thank you, Father. Amen. If you have your Bibles and would like to read along, I'll be in Philippians chapter 2, um, Paul's church to the church of Philippi, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The title of this morning's sermon is Lights in the World. Lights in the World. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, 
if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Amen. I'll go ahead and say it for you. Amen. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, now listen to this progress, he humbled himself and became a man. And being a man, he humbled himself. Lest you think he wasn't humble enough. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly, or also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored, in vain. So writes Paul to the church at Philippi. I want to talk this morning about great beginnings. Paul, if you read this, you might think that he is questioning whether some of these things are true in the first verse there in chapter 2, but I want to I want to lay your fears. This is not Paul questioning who the Philippians are. If you look all the way back there into verse 1 of chapter 1, you see Paul identifies those to whom he is writing. The saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. Paul knows that these things exist in their fellowship because he knows them well. So what Paul is doing here is reminding them, them of their position as saints in Jesus Christ. I would like to remind you this morning of your position 
as saints in Jesus Christ. Now that's probably a little bit offsetting for a lot of us. We don't think of ourselves that way. This, of course, is in the first century of the church. So everything is new to the people in this, at the writing here. So being identified as saints doesn't throw them off like it would us. Um, but that's who you are. If I were to ask this morning how many of you could testify to the fact that you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, if you could raise your hand there, you would be identified as a saint. Maybe not by everybody else, but you would be by him. Because he's begun a good work in your life. Now, he's not through with you. But if you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to understand you're identified as a saint. Now, if you don't believe that, if you don't think there's a difference, go out and talk about what the church looks like to the people in the world. And they'll tell you that there is and should be a difference between those who really are Christians and those who just profess they are. Amen? Oh, we may have a hard time figuring out how that works, but they sure don't. They can tell you quickly who is or who isn't acting like they should act. I always found that as interesting. We have a hard time discerning who is or who isn't in our midst, yet the world doesn't. What does the world say? Why don't I go to church? Well, it's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because they see how people who profess to be followers of Christ live their lives. And some of it just doesn't measure up. You know, you, you look at the Bible, and they don't even know the Bible well, but they can make that judgment. Do you know how the, what the Bible says is the, is the deciding factor of how the world will know that you are disciples of Christ? It's a very clear, easy way to distinguish. And the world easily makes that judgment. Did you know that? The Bible says that the way that the world will know that you're Christians is how you love one another. When they see church fights, they go, whoa, hold on now. I don't consider myself to be a Christian. That ain't right. Amen? I know a church not far from here that on a Sunday morning after church, the youth pastor and the pastor got in a fight in the parking lot. Now, it wasn't a big town. How far do you think that story went? There was nobody in town that didn't know about that in two days. You couldn't have published it on the front page of a newspaper and it got around as fast as it did. The world will make sure they know if you're not who you say you are. When you go to work, I'm ashamed to say it, but there are entirely too many people who profess to be Christians and nobody at work knows it. Come on, church. <laughs> I'm not throwing rocks at you. I'm just saying, you know, that's how it is. 
You go to church? I didn't know that, man. I've been working with you for 20 years. I didn't know you went to church. Really? Wasn't there a clue? I'd just like to know how you can hide it that well. I'm going to tell you something. I, I like to make it, when I'm working public, out in the, I like to make so sure they know who I am that if they mess up according to their standard that I should be living by, they apologize to me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Forgive me. That's all right. I understand who you are, man. I know. That's how you talk. Amen? I didn't expect anything else from you. I know who you live for. I know who your boss is. I used to be, he used to be my boss. So I know exactly how you live. But you know, they know I shouldn't live the way they do. Paul says, if you call yourself Christian, you have a responsibility to live like it. A responsibility to live like it. You know, in the first part of this passage, he's not really talking about the world yet. He's talking about you have a responsibility to live like Christians for each other. Because if you don't live like Christians for each other, how in the world are they going to be able to distinguish between what you are and who you say you are? It has to, you know, the Bible says that judgment starts where? At the house of God. Because see, there's a standard that we're supposed to live by. It's the life of Jesus. And if we are living that life out, the world should have no way to cause, have something bad to say about the way we live our lives. Look at what he says. Uh, first of all, he says, in this passage, there's a, sounds like it's a question, but he says, if these things are part of what you have already experienced as followers of Christ, if there's any consolation in Christ, if in your life with Jesus you have felt him consoling you when you're having a difficult time or exhorting you when you need to be moving in a certain way, if you've had that kind of experience with Christ, if, if you've had any comfort because of the sense that God loves you, if you've, if, you've had it, if you've derived any comfort from that relationship of love with God, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if you've, if you've sensed the power and presence of God's Spirit in your life, almost overwhelming sometimes, if you've ever sensed the tenderness and the mercy of God's love in your life, if those things are true for you, then he says, turn that right around and be like that for each other. Be like-minded. God has a mind towards you, amen? 
He has a way of living and loving with you. There's a, he has this wonderful character that he shares with you. He loves you and cares for you and he comforts you and he empowers you and he protects you and he, he does all kinds of wonderful things in your life. And Paul says, if you've recognized that about your life with him, then you be like-minded. You share that with one another. Why? Because you have a responsibility to. You can't always just be a taker. You must be a giver, a sharer. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Greenwood Hills a good example of that? One accord, sharing the same love, having one mind. If I were to ask you this morning, why is Greenwood Hills here? What's your purpose? And I were to ask five of you privately what that purpose was, how many answers do you think I'd get? Because what God says is that you should know why you're here. You should have established that fact, and you ought to be one-minded about it. This is why we're here. We know exactly what our purpose is. We know why God's placed us here, and we're all together on it. As a matter of fact, that's a prerequisite for joining with you. Amen? You don't want people that are going different directions because that's catastrophic for your church, for your fellowship. You want everybody going in the same direction. By the way, I, I want to just throw this out there. We live in a time when the people are trying to do away with the things with different denominations. I am certainly okay with that as long as everybody's on the same page. But do you know what? Everybody's not on the same page. Do you know there is a reason why the Wesleyan church exists and why it's different than the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church or the Lutheran church or the Catholic church? They all have reasons for being who they are, but they are not homogenous reasons. The Wesleyan Church has a view, a doctrinal view. Now, we've come to the place today where we will invite people into our fellowship, and we don't even ask them if they believe like we do about core essentials. Core essentials. If you, the reason that's important is you you have a you go back into a Sunday school class and y'all talk about something and pretty soon you realize, man, we don't believe the same thing. You get in an argument. Truth is, both of you may be wrong. I always say one of the things I'm going to be most surprised about when I get to heaven is how wrong I've been, because I have ideas. I got man, I got interpretations. I think I'm right. But the truth is, I'm going to find out I'm wrong. 
But my job here is to surround myself as much as I can with people who have the same core values. They, they believe pretty much, they have the same interpretation of God's word. And it's based not on just supposition. It's based on a preponderance of study of God's word until you come to a unity, until you have a same mind about what God's word says so you don't spend a whole lot of time arguing about things that are silly. Do we believe in immersion baptism? Or is sprinkling okay? I don't know. Let's get in the parking lot and we'll fight it out. Amen? Because that's what people do. It's silly. But you need to have some kind of consensus so you don't go there. And you know why you have that consensus. And you don't throw rocks at people who don't believe like you do. I grew up, we thought the Baptists weren't saved. Amen? And the Presbyterians, oh my, well, there's no hope for them, right? God help us, that's just not true. I'm going to tell you a secret, they're going to be Catholics in heaven. Amen? God has select people everywhere. They don't agree with everything I believe. My God is so big, he doesn't even ask my advice. He don't ask your advice either. But since we are pretty fallible, we are pretty finite, it's a good thing because we're so small-minded in this pleasant existence, we need to get those together who have, that's the reason come from the discipline. You thought the discipline was just so there so it could take away your fun, didn't you? No. We sat down, we had our scholars, and we all looked at the Bible. We poured over God's word and we said, well, what are the distinctives? Because we believe a certain way and we've got to be able to come to a consensus together and we've got to be able to support it with God's word. Why do we believe this way? By the way, it hasn't changed the need for us to have a consensus. It's silliness and it's futility for us to do away with those things because you aren't ready for them to be gone. Amen? I'm not ready for them to be gone. I'm just small-minded enough to want to argue with somebody who doesn't agree with me. Perhaps you're that way. So, we have a Wesleyan church. And I'm not apologizing for the Wesleyan Church. You know why I'm here? Because I read the discipline, compared it to the Bible, and I said, this is as close as I can come to what I believe. When the Wesleyan Church changes, I'll be gone. Because the Wesleyan Church isn't the important thing. It's a consensus of believers who have looked at God's word and said, we will stand and die on these things. We agree on them. We don't think everybody else is wrong that doesn't agree with us, but this is where we've, we've come together. Is that why you're here? Amen now, come on. Is that why you're here? Do you know why you come to this church? Or would it make no difference if you went to Green Street? It might not today because you probably hear the same services. But there is a difference. And I'm not here preaching Wesleyanism. I hope you understand that. 
I'm just saying that there needs to be a reason so that we can come in unity as brothers and sisters and not argue about things that just don't matter. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. That sounds hard for us because it means that we all like Brussels sprouts. No, that's not what it means. It means distinctives. You know, what is it that you... These are the things that are so important to us. They're core values to us. Are we all one mind here? Are we in agreement? What is it that you let throw you off, keep you from being one as a body of believers? Worship styles? Sometimes I, I wonder what it's like at the throne you ever wonder what it's like there? Because, I mean, all over the world, there are people worshiping God. Some of them don't speak English. I don't know what they're saying. Haven't got a clue. Different kind of language, different kind of customs. Why, there's not a single person in the whole church that has on a tie. What kind of church is that? It's one that worships the Lord. It just doesn't have your customs. So I'm wondering, what, up there in heaven, God's sitting on his throne. And he's receiving the worship of his people. And you have a church here that's, just, that's arguing about the worship styles. And they don't even have a clue about how different worship styles can be. Do you think Paul ever sang any of the hymns we know? By the way, did you know hymns are hymns and there are spiritual songs that aren't hymns? They're not the same thing. The songs we sang here this morning, my concern for a church like this is that when you get up and you worship and three-quarters of the people don't know the songs, we have a problem because nobody's entered into worship when you do that. One mind. If you really are concerned about everyone else, you won't lead doing what you want. You'll have them on your heart and mind. Are they being led in worship? Because as a leader, if I'm leading and nobody's following, am I a leader? quiet in here got to be careful people got to be careful because distinctives matter and we need to be of one mind if you had everybody here who liked all the same music it'd be one thing but you don't by the way this is so wonderful because see I can I can say stuff like this then I'm going to leave. But you better pay attention because you're not leaving. And God needs to speak to you 
so you can be the effective leader he's called you to be. Make sure you're leading people in worship. Make sure you're leading people in your Sunday school class. It's not a social gathering. It's a place where you learn about Jesus. Are you wasting time? You know, I think God thinks that's a sin. You've come together for a specific purpose. What do you do with it? Are you frivolous with the time and you just waste it? How many of you know uh, Leon Thompson? Anybody ever know Leon Thompson? He used to be the district superintendent in the East District here. He was a former colonel in the Army. My father-in-law called him the minute man. When he was a pastor, 11 o'clock, he was going to start because the time was the Lord's. He didn't waste a second. Now, that's the military man in him. What is, he, what is he talking about there? He was just like he changed commanders. He was under some general's leadership. Now he's under General God. He's under the General Jesus. And he said, I'm going to do exactly what I've done all my life, but I'm doing it for him. Do you know why I dress the way I do? I get people all the time, why do you dress that way? Why don't you take your coat and tie off? Well, I don't dress for you, and I don't even dress for me. I have just a number of ways that I can show the Lord that I honor him. And so I use what I have, and I say, Lord, it's worth it for me to honor you with the way I dress. Now, I'm not putting that on you. I'm just saying there has to be a mindset. Why do you do what you do? And if you aren't thinking about it, you should. Because he knows why you do what you do. And if it doesn't matter enough to you, he wonders why it doesn't. What do you do with your life? You are a body of believers here. Do you care for each other so much that you give up what you want so that others can be bettered? If not, you do not know what the life of Christ is all about. His mind was that he humbled himself Equal with God, he gave that up. Can you imagine giving that up? To be equal with God? And yet he didn't think that was something to hold on to. He gave that up and became man. But that wasn't low enough for what he intended to do, what he needed to do, because the Father's will was on him. And so what he did as a man, he humbled himself as a man. The God of glory became a man by humbling himself and then humbled himself and died for you and me without any other cause or reason, never guilty of anything at all. He said, Father, you've asked me to do it because you say they're worth it. I'll die. What are you willing to give up? Come on, folks. 
I've pastored long enough to where I know sometimes I go into a church and it doesn't take me 10 minutes to realize the church has a boss and it ain't Jesus. In Jesus, he should be on the throne, but no, they've got a boss. Are you willing to give that up? Because the, the power that should rest on the church the divine unction should be on the pulpit. It will never be there until people humble themselves and say, you are worthy. You're king of kings. You're lord of lords. And I bow before you. Your will must be done. Until that's your heart, you don't know the life of Christ. You know what it means to play at Christianity, but the heart of Christendom is to give up all and follow him. To give up everything and follow him. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll gain it. What do you want? You say you're a follower of Christ. What do you want? Do you really want all that he has for you? And give up all that you have. By the way, that's a New Testament standard. In the New Testament, you don't give 10% tithes and keep 90%. You give 100%. Amen? You give 100%. All that I have is yours. I hold nothing back. My hands are empty, Lord. I don't have anything. It's all yours. You make me what you want me to be. So, your works are not done through strife or vainglory. You're not trying to bother people that bother you. And so you make decisions just to kind of jab at them. Amen. You know how that's done, don't you? You ever been there? <laughs> You're in a position of leadership so you can make decisions just to bug people. This will get them. <laughs> that's strife. You don't do things just so that your actions get acclamation. This will make them sit up and take notice. Jesus never did that. He had great opportunities to do it. There were plenty of people who bugged Jesus, tried to kill him, yet he never responded to those things. As a lamb is led before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What's your attitude whenever people put pressure on you? Do you respond in kind? Let the things you do benefit others and not yourself. Uh, let me close up with this. <clears throat> Two things. First of all, hard work. You think after what Paul says there in the first eight or ten Chapter, verses of chapter 12 of chapter 2 
he'd be through. But he goes on to verse, well, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you. That's the first thing that's kind of hard to do. Notice that he doesn't say, put it in your mind. Let Put this mind in you. Because you can't put the mind of Christ in you. You don't have any control over it, so you can't put it anywhere. You can't put it anything. You can't do anything with it at all. All you can do is what Paul says, let. That doesn't happen until you surrender. Let this mind be in you. Let it be in you. He wants to give you his mind. You have to let it. That means everything else that competes with that mind has to go away. All your preferences, all your goals, your will, all those things don't have a place in the Christian's life. I surrender some things. I surrender a few things. No. All. Why? Because there can't be any competition for the mind of Christ in your life. He doesn't broker competition, by the way. You understand that? He won't put it. If you have competition there, he'll draw back. Until he has control, until his spirit has free reign in your life, he won't pour into you what you need in order to survive as a follower of his. You can't do it, so you have to let this mind be in you. I forsake my carnal mind. I give up my right to have rights. And I let the mind of Christ be in me. Then he goes to verse 12 and he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Friends, the war goes on in your life. Let the mind of Christ be in you. It doesn't end there. The devil doesn't give up on you. Monday morning you go right out and you face the same crowd you faced all last week and they haven't changed. They're trying to dissuade you from the path God has chosen for you. They want you defeated. They won't tell you that. But their boss will do anything to try and keep you from being successful as a disciple of Christ. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm reminded of verse uh, chapter 12 of Revelation. It's verse 11. And it describes those who were victorious over the accuser of the brethren. You may remember this verse. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives to death. Even if it meant death, they didn't hold on to their lives. My father used to uh, give a testimony. My dad is very, I'm very much like my dad. I'm a crier laugher. Anybody here a crier laugher? If I get blessed, I'm crying and I'm laughing. My dad would, he'd get up and he'd say this. He heard it someplace, but it's true. I tell it to keep it and I keep it to tell it. What he meant by that was is that his testimony, he had to give it every once in a while because it was a way whereby he made sure that God knew 
he was, this was important to him. And so he would stand up and testify to what God had done in his life. And two things happened. God said, that's, a good, that's good. I wanted to hear a testimony. You need to testify in front of others what I've done. And something happened inside of him. Anybody here ever not testify when you felt like God was prompting you to? And the service was over and you went out the doors and what did you feel? He beat me. I got defeated again. Well, when you give that testimony, you have the you sense God's pleasure in you in you being faithful, and you leave with a light heart. Your testimony is important. And then verse 13 here, be amenable to the grace of God. Oh, folks. Let me just say this. I've got. I'm not going to go over this, though. Verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I mentioned a couple weeks ago the definition of grace. God's the desire and the power to do the will of God. God's active grace in your life. It's God giving you a desire to do his will and then the ability to do it. And here what Paul says, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God wants to work in us. Is he working in you? Because he has a perfect will he wants to express through your life for you and for those around you. And I'm out of time, so I'm going to quit. But I want to tell you something. If you read on just a little bit Later, there's a, in verses 15 and 16 specifically, it talks about being a good example. I want to tell you something. <clears throat> the church needs to be a better example. Amen? Uh, being in church isn't something you do on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, there is no such thing as being in church. This building we call a church has absolutely nothing to do with being a church. This is a building. It's a convenient place for the church to meet. You are the church. You can't be in church. You can only be the church. And the church is a full-time occupation for followers of Christ. He is the head of the church you're his body. When do you stop being that? On Monday morning? Tuesday afternoon? Saturday when you go to the ball game? No. You're still the body of Christ. He's still your head. You're the church to a lost world. Can they see it? Can they see it? God help you. God help us to take this Wonderful letter to the church at Philippi to heart. I was encouraged. They read this morning from Romans chapter 12, and there was this wonderful list of things that Paul says to the church at Rome. These are the things you do. Pay attention to them. Live them. Do them. Not as just good works, but because it's the will of the Father. And you are subject to his will. Amen. You have a song you're going to sing? Okay. Then I'll pray. Sound good?
feel really short now. If you'll stand up, this last song. Lord, I pray that you would add the salt of your spirit to what has been said here this morning. That you would soothe, 
comfort and direct according to your will. Because, Father, if we are followers, our desire is not for ourselves only, but for all who follow in your name. So, Father, we ask that you'd have your will, your way, in our fellowship here. And we thank you for all that you do, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.